Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to Reimagine Work, a podcast dedicated to questioning our modern conception of work and its role in our lives. I'm your host, Paul Millard, and I have conversations with philosophers, authors, creators, freelancers, and vagabonds who are trying to make sense of this question in their own lives. Join me while I try to navigate the emerging future of work. If you'd like to read more of my writing, explore this podcast, or find ways to work with me, you can go to think-boundless.com. Today, I'm talking with Motiz Ahmed, otherwise known as Motizi, who's a graphic designer, consultant, and hand lettering artist. Today, we're talking about a part of a book he's put out titled The Lazy Person's Guide to Freedom. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to hear when you first started thinking about the word freedom. Your book starts with this concept and has a really interesting framing of it, but I'd love to hear when you first started to think about the concept in your own life. Uh, Yeah. um, So obviously, um, everyone wants to be free. Everyone wants to, um, you know, not be uh, tied down by things they don't want to be restrained by. Um, I personally uh, started feeling that I didn't really um, express that um, when I was, um, you know, told I had to be in a specific field, a specific career path, and I really wasn't enjoying it. Um, and it's kind of like a cultural thing. Like a lot of people from my background, they they're like forced, and not really forced, but like it's it's basically the only option they have. Um, you know, in the terms of like the stigmas and, you know, things that society dictates is just that, okay, you have to be either like a doctor or an engineer, right? Because they don't really think about, um, you know, the possibility of other things. Um, and I, I had the, the luxury of, um, of emigrating to the U S uh, at a young age. And I experienced this, uh, huge jolt of freedom, right. Compared to, uh, what I was experiencing in my home country. And it definitely, um, you know, made me just have that urge to just keep going with it, you know, um, compared to my peers, compared to my classmates, um, I was enjoying a lot more things that, um, you know, they didn't. And I really wanted to just bring that home. I really wanted to share that with as many people as possible. And, um, you know, even people, um, amongst my own community that are here in the U S, um, we even within that much freedom, we still like constrict ourselves with these added, um, you know, restraints that are just completely um, baseless. Yeah, so many people have made this observation of Western culture with mm-hmm. so much freedom, people seem to put constraints on themselves yeah. or find it in conformity. Uh, from your perspective, how have you kind of made sense of that? trade-off and why people might do these kind of things yeah i mean it's obviously for for uh like their self-interest they believe strongly that you know they um they need the stability quote unquote right so they came uh, to this country they worked really really hard to get here and um they believe that okay now that we've made it we're not gonna just you know uh, squander all our efforts we're, just, we're really gonna hold on to it you know it's it's a scarcity mindset right so they're they're just holding on to that precious thing that they worked so hard for, and then unfortunately, it's um, it's actually very limiting in, in doing that. But it comes from a good place. And what were some of the other ways you saw that play out when you were younger 
in terms of freedom and how you were experiencing it. It seems like even from a young age, which I don't think a lot of people have this appreciation, you were just really in the moment of saying, wow, I really do have so much freedom. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, I'm originally from Egypt and uh, it's like now it's it's almost like a police state, right? So you can't really express your opinions. You can't, um, you know, talk about things unless, you know, a lot of people just disappear, right? Um, so now with like the revolution and everything, uh, people are, are, have been speaking out more, but, uh, dealing with a lot more consequences, a lot bigger consequences, right? People are getting, you know, uh, shot in the streets, all sorts of stuff. So, um, I was kind of exposed to this like idea of, of, um, of like, there's this oppressive thing. Um, and then we shouldn't like talk about specific things. We shouldn't do specific things out outdoors, at a very young age. So I was kind of like already, um, you know, more attuned to it, more so than like many American audiences or many American, you know, like citizens or whatever, uh, because they just haven't had that um, to that extent, you know, at all. Um, so, of course, when I moved somewhere that you could just say whatever you want and, you know, uh, become whatever you want, it really, really, really uh, influenced me and just changed me, gave me that perspective, um, you know. Ever since I came here, when I was like 11. So when you were thinking about work uh, and going through college and thinking about entering the quote-unquote real world, mm -hmm. did you have these questions at the top of your mind? I think for a lot of people, work is how they first kind of grapple with what they define freedom as in their lives. Yeah, uh, and even a little bit before then, like when I was in school, I, I was uh, I was like undecided. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I was creative. I knew I liked to paint and draw, um, but I didn't think of it as a career choice at all. Um, it was just you know ingrained into me like the only way to succeed is to have these safe uh, jobs, and I basically it, it came out of just failure basically. So I tried to, to to get into them, and you know tried really hard, but it really wasn't for me. And, um, you know, after a few attempts, then I realized, okay, well, I really have to just do something. Let me just do what I'm good at. Um, and from there, you know, started freelancing, started, you know, getting gigs. Um, and then, um, you know, got a few jobs to supplement, uh, you know, the, the freelancing. And then, uh, you know, that, that really, really gave me the freedom that I, uh, that I really craved. Yeah, so you were doing that while you were still in college? Uh, yeah, I was still like, you know, um, doing things for people in my community, just like designing a logo here, uh, you know, uh, ads, you know, making brochures and billboards and stuff for people while I was in school. Um, just because I was the only one who did it. Like, the, there are not many people, not many like uh, Arabs who do graphic design, for example. Right. Um, so like anyone who would, you know, see me be like, Oh, Hey, you're a graphic designer. Like, I've never heard that before. Let me do my thing. And you do this, blah, blah, blah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always been like that ever since I went to school. Yeah. So when you were graduating, how did you think about managing that transition? Basically just kind of jumped in head, uh, you know, head first. I, um, I went straight into, uh, freelancing. Um, and I did apply to a few places. I, you know, but I, I was, I only had that like one, you know, get, just get a job mindset, right? Just get something safe, um, make everyone happy and just, just go with it. Right. I didn't really think of it as like a, you know, something that's actually going to make a difference somewhere or, um, just something that's going to be freeing me. I just wanted it cause it had to be done. Right. I'd love to shift to the book you wrote. Maybe mm -hmm. you can talk a bit about where the idea for that came out. Right now, you've released part one of three parts. Yeah. So maybe just where where did the first kind of drop of that idea emerge and how have you thought about putting it out there in the world? Uh, yeah, I really wanted to just write a book for my previous self, uh, like my younger self, I was, because I was really, really lost. I, I you know, had so much uh, that I wanted to do, so much that I could have done. Um, but I wasted so much time just, um, you know, following, uh, these dreams that are not mine at all. And, um, I know a lot of people who are in my shoes. I know a lot of people who are, um, you know, going through the same, uh, struggles. So this is basically a book for them, um, that describes kind of how I, uh, went through it. 
Um, so all the things that I've been learning, all the things I've learned from conferences, from mentors, from books, um, from podcasts, uh, all those things, you know, over the maybe the, the last five years or so, I decided I really want to share with people. Um, and just to get it in as many people's hands as possible, I, I don't care about like, you know, um, profits or whatever. It's just something that, um, you know, really needs to be said uh, t- to help as many people as possible. Yeah, it seemed like from the tone of the book, the thing that jumped out at me was you have all these things that might be called like productivity hacks, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you don't really present it in that direction. I think a lot of productivity is presented as an opposite to laziness mm. in terms of like complete productivity, like work all the time. Mm-hmm. And yours was almost in a opposite direction, almost saying like the opposite of laziness is not exhaustion, but actually mm-hmm. just being energized. Does that resonate right. with what you were trying to uh, get at? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I am a super, super, super lazy person. Um, and this is basically to tell me that it's like, um, this is what this is what the steps that I needed to take, you know, and then this is the steps for anyone else who this might resonate with. Uh, just do those things to get yourself, um, you know, out of out of that funk that you're in, just like, um, realize that it's it's really not like your fault. It's laziness is not an actual like innate um, thing. It, it could be easily uh, over uh, you know overcome if you just do those very very simple things. You know, um, simple like um, like mind tricks that you can play in yourself. Just simple uh, habits that you can do with very very small very easy to do actions. Um, and it's it's coming from that perspective. It's not like um, it's not a productivity book, but it's a book about like how to achieve your freedom if you are a lazy person um, or if you call yourself lazy and, and what actually is laziness and, you know, where do you fit in on the spectrum and all that. And uh, in later chapters, I'll talk about like different personality types, like how does um, how might this work for you better than that? Um, how can you like use uh, specific things to to make people like to have influence over people, basically? Um, and then just to, to really boost yourself from wherever you are to somewhere that you could enjoy your freedom much more. It seems like so many of our ideas of success, work and productivity come from, and you mentioned this in your book, there's almost a few people who have this natural ability. Uh, Mm -hmm. you propose it might be genetic for Mm -hmm. just intense work, right? Yeah. And that leads so many people to just feel terrible all the time. Uh, because they're not quote unquote productive. Uh, yeah. so should we think of this book as a guide for kind of the rest of us who don't have those super genes? Uh, yeah. And, and it's not just genes. Like a lot of it is nurture too. So like, um, you know, some people are, uh, they have like really productive family members, really productive friends, their environment, uh, where they live is just really productive. Um, but I feel like uh, I'm not ripping on anyone from like uh, these areas, but like I'm from, uh, you know, uh, I've lived in the Midwest most of my life where things people aren't as like productive as like, let's say people who live in Silicon Valley or a lot of people who have to like hustle a lot in New York or wherever. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Egypt, so Egypt definitely is, is way less on that spectrum. Right. Um, so um, so like. If you're in that situation and you just weren't taught, you know, that you weren't uh, given any guidance, you just lived as everyone else around you lived, um, it's definitely going to affect you. And it's just these, uh, all you got to do is just, you know, tap into these few things and everything's going to, you know, go really, really smoothly. So the book is definitely for everyone who not only doesn't have like the nature behind it, uh, but like, you know, just their environment really doesn't support that. Um, so I talk about like just, um, you know, not necessarily up and leaving where you live, but like going online and finding those people who are to have your ambitions, who who are productive um, and making those like your circle of friends and connecting with them. Right. Because then they're going to rub off on you. Um, so just trying to get um, the people who are like aren't, you know, uh, weren't dealt like the same cards as, as those uh, super genius, uh, you know, uh, amazing amazingly like nurture people to uh to be at their level yeah and there's almost a flip side of this you start talking about it in the book where you start off the chapter with culture is or custom is king right Mm -hmm. 
and you go through deep history of where some beliefs come from, but we often don't think about where these beliefs come from. They're just kind of things we grow up with. And Mm -hmm. your takeaway is really figure out what the original intent of these was Mm -hmm. and then figure out which of those beliefs actually still serve you and help you. And I think I see this with so many people with work. It's all these work beliefs from hundreds or even thousands of years ago, and nobody really knows what they're based on. Yeah. Uh, not only that, like it, people just get like this gut reaction, just like this visceral reaction, right? Like some people think like specific animals are like really cute and like, you know, um, um, and they just like really love those animals. Other people like the, they'll see the animal and, and like the, you know, they might eat it or they might, you know, whatever. Um, like it's, they get, people have a completely different visceral, like actual disgust. Like people feel disgust, you know, at specific things that someone else might completely think it's like completely normal. Um, and it's not saying, I'm not saying that like, um, one person deserves to feel disgust and one person deserves to not feel disgust. It's just like the culture just completely, um, is different and we shouldn't like, base ultimate moral values or whatever like on things that make you like feel like this visceral reaction uh you really should be kind of like um you really should study everyone else and see where they're coming from right um and like if something resonates with you then you should you know tell more people about it try to influence other people's opinions and whatnot but always have the understanding of okay well like why do i have this weird reaction you know um like if if someone's doing something and I think it's it's uh, it's like objectionably wrong, right? Is it really like an objective thing, or do you just kind of impose your own opinion, your own beliefs, um, things that are just been like um, into your culture, like ingrained into you uh, for generations, and you just haven't noticed, right? So just kind of like have an open mind, really. Um, but more importantly, just like don't let stuff, you know things that are limiting uh constrict your worldview just always um like people just think of things like for example um a lot of people see me and then they you know they see my beard and stuff they they automatically have their own judgments right um but like um you know and i try to be like extra super nice to kind of like compensate um and uh, and people um and I, and I completely understand like where they're coming from it's just that we don't really trust uh, what we don't understand so just if everyone just kind of like is became uh, more you know more well-read um more uh willing to just experience things um and look at and and research like the reason why people do specific things then yeah of course um everyone's going to you know everyone's going to um benefit from one another and uh, you're going to benefit yourself. It's it's really going to help you way more than it um, it helps other people if you do that. Yeah, I think Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, kind of mm. blew my brain open on this topic. Is that something that's influenced you as well? Uh, no, actually, I haven't, uh, you know, personally, but I will have to check him out, yeah. Yeah, he basically talks about how a lot of these moral reactions or what we think are moral are kind of just natural or cultural, right? Mm. And you see wide variances based on where you were born or just genetic makeup. And it, mm-hmm. it really just made me a lot more uh, compassionate to different views of seeing things. Yeah. Um, you, you also talk a bit about influence and you were just talking mm-hmm. about it a little in terms of sharing ideas how do you think about positive influence and sharing ideas in a positive way uh, yeah you really have to be tactful uh, and not everyone takes information the same way um you know i, I know some people who like um like i notice them doing something that's really harmful to themselves and i first go through this filter of like okay is this like Um, Is this me just, you know, imposing my um, beliefs or whatever on them? Um, And and if it's like people I care about deeply, then I really kind of feel like uh, I really have to at least, um, you know, try to find a tactful way to to talk to them. Um, 
and some people like things just will not resonate like no matter how much you try it's just really really difficult for someone if they don't want help or they don't want uh, to hear anything from you um so i'll just do like so some people are very receptive uh, and that's kind of my audience right so that's uh, who i really want to um talk to it's people who are in a place that um you know want the help and they're accepting to get it so influence kind of it's um like you can increase your influence and you can do a lot of things to help, but it won't be like 100% effective to every single person out there. You could definitely um, try to increase your charisma, try to increase, um, you know, um, your influence over people by, uh, you know, being a better listener, uh, being a better communicator, um, you know, having like the, the, the different types of charisma that are uh, necessary to, to be influential. You know, if you're like authoritative, if you're a uh, focus type, it, all those different uh, things that are in the, the book, The Charisma Myth. Um, you could highly, highly, highly increase your influence if you have something of massive value that you're giving to people. And, uh, you know, they're, they're benefiting from it. And at the same time, you have an authority um, by just having that either knowledge or uh, status. Right. So just try to make yourself, you know, Really, really, really uh, powerful, not like in a bad way. Um, and then share a ton of value to everyone with no strings attached. And that's how you can maximize your influence, um, you know, to the most amount of people, no matter what their personality is. I So I met you, I think, a year and a half ago at a mm-hmm. conference. And yeah. I remember you mentioning this guide you were, or this book you were writing that we're talking about now. And I think I signed up for the newsletter around then. And this basically just showed up in my inbox uh, Mm -hmm. about a month ago. And it was kind of a surprise one because, uh, it just kind of showed up and you were really offering it generously and as a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was exciting to receive that. And one of the things you write about is to be free is to be free from greed. So mm-hmm. maybe talk to me a bit about how you think about kind of reciprocity, gifting, yeah. and just, um, putting value out there. Cause I do think you are, uh, putting some of the value out there like you were just talking about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, people are naturally like generous. Um, uh, if you give, you know, for free without any strings attached, people will just feel the need to, to give you back, right? Uh, you know, many people, their automatic response to you doing something nice to them is always, oh, thank you. Like, it, it's it's almost always the case. You know, it's very rare when you, when you like, when someone drops something and you pick it up and give it to them that they're just going to walk away, right? Uh, like, people always feel the need to uh, to want to not only give you back, but give you back more, right? Especially if they are generous themselves. Um, so like a generous person, uh, you've basically, um, like you, you have them in your pocket forever if you do something really, really nice for them. Right. And that's why like, uh, so many people invest in things like, um, giving out, you know, free books, uh, free advice, free podcasts. Um, you know, people give out, um, like gifts to influencers, all those things. You know, they are, um, they do take a lot of effort and they, and they, you know, they do have a lot of value, but if everyone just held on to their stuff and they didn't really share it with the world, no one is going to benefit. Like they wouldn't get business, right? It's, it's that first introductory giving that sparks this like spiral of, um, like this like snowball of just, um, you know, benefits, right? So I give you something for free. You're going to, you're going to feel so obliged to return the favor, that you're going to, um, you know, return it. Uh, of course, like if um, it doesn't automatically happen that way, like if someone's, you know, giving out, let's say, uh, content, they're constantly producing content over and over and over. Everyone else just kind of takes it for granted and they assume it's free. Um, to them, it might be like an annoyance, right? It might be like, oh, I um, like, like I didn't really um, uh, like want this specific thing to show up, right? like think of it as advertisement right no one really wants to watch the ads but they kind of are the reason for everything right uh, like if you think yeah. about the original like um the soap operas right they're called soap operas because they were selling soap there were these radio spots that were um like these elaborate stories that are just you know 
to sell um, Procter and Gamble's um, uh, soap, right? And um, so, and eventually, it just paid for everything else, and then that they use that as as like a, a business model. So you have to really give people things for free, but then eventually. Not everyone's going to like appreciate that as a gift, so they might not reciprocate. So if if you're seeing that people aren't, you know, automatically like giving you back right away, it's not because uh, the the concept of reciprocity doesn't work, or that people are freeloaders. It's that you didn't present it in a way that showed them the true value of it, right? So if you show them, if you you know send someone something, and they really appreciate it, they definitely will reciprocate. Um. There are very few people in the world who are just like completely, you know, horrible people who just wouldn't uh, reciprocate and like take advantage of others, right? So it's and even they like they have really good redeeming qualities, right? So like even the worst dictator, um, you know, there have been reports of them like being really loving to their family and stuff. So I really don't think that um, people are just uh, not going to reciprocate, no matter who they are, even if the wor- they're the worst person ever. Yeah, I, so I've experimented with the gift economy a lot in the past couple mm. of years, and I found a lot of the things, like you said, I, it's incredibly rewarding. I think mm-hmm. one of the things that helped me really embrace it was Charles Eisenstein was writing about just detaching from expectation, right? Expectation yeah. that you should get a payback from the person you gift to or within a certain time period. And I've just been really surprised at kind of how generosity flows in different directions. Um, and it's really about another thing you talk about, just being free from being attached to certain outcomes mm-hmm. or uh, the way things should should be. Yeah. No, 100%. Uh, and if, you're, if you don't um, have an expectation towards something, theoretically, like, you won't ever feel bad, you know? <laughs> like, you'll always be happy. Because you're just doing things because you want to do them, right? Um, and you're not expecting anything in return. And I don't know, like, what the rule of nature is, but every time, um, like, I give people things for free, you know, just do things like, um, like, if someone asks me to, like, do their logo or something and I do it for free, um, or, um, like, there's this cause that I really believe in and I do something, you know, for it, I volunteer some of my time or I uh, donate some of the money, like, Things that it's not even them who are like returning the favor. It's just the favor gets returned, you know, like, like sometimes it's like the person I did the logo for, like they tell other people and then they like, you know, talk to me about, um, you know, doing a logo and it's like much better clients than I would have expected. It's multiple clients. So like word of mouth goes really far. So like, I feel that, um, it's not like a one to one thing. It's like a one to like 10. Like you, you give something out for free or you do something, you know, with those things attached. And so many new things pop up from all sorts of different directions you were not expecting. And that's just super amazing. Like, I, you know, everyone should, should think that way. Everyone should just give people value for it you know, without expecting anything in return. How do you think about trying to find the clients you want to work with? On your website, you have pretty clear. Uh, I maybe call it branding, uh, trying to target a very, uh, somebody who's serious, both serious about design, but probably a little more playful and laid back. How do you, how did you stumble upon framing things in that way? And how has that resonated? Uh, yeah, um, I definitely, so, um, I get a lot of people asking me to do work. Um, but like I refuse 99.9% of it just because, they're not like they're not ideal clients. You know, they're clients that um, don't understand uh, scope. They don't understand the value that I'm offering. They think is just really um, like the stuff that I do is like cheap. Um, just because it's not because of like um, you know anything that I'm doing. It's because, really because they don't know what design is. They just don't appreciate what goes into it, um, like the creative thought process behind it. The um, you know these just because they're in that like stigma of okay uh, like i am a business owner or a doctor or engineer um i know all those things that have to do with xyz uh you are just uh, in a lower tier category right so this whole tier system of um of stuff kind of like is what allowed me is what forced me into being very selective um so I only accept for example clients uh, as clients like i do a lot of free work i do a ton of it uh, it's because of like 
if, if it's for a cause that I believe in or if it's for a friend or if it's, um, you know, uh, for something that I just want to see succeed, you know, right? So that's what I do. I have like a, a pro bono um, budget per se, right? So I have a few clients that uh, have like a few spots open where I do things for free. And it does return way more than, than the time I, I give it. But the clients that I do accept, um, they're like, they have to be ones that allow me the freedom of doing those free projects that I really care about. So they're not just going to be any any an old client that makes me miserable. They really have to be someone who's really fun, who's really, you know, uh, someone I, I vibe with, someone who's um, like my type of person. And um, they they can actually afford the services and appreciate it. Like a lot of people, they um, they just really, really, really don't understand what goes into it. And that's because like graphic designers, you know, um, as a whole, collectively, We've just been throwing our work out there for really, really cheap. Instead of doing that, and who really helped me kind of uh, value my my work, um, is uh, one of my mentors called Sean McCabe. Uh, he has you know uh, his podcast called Sean West about um, you know how to get creative people uh, into uh, doing this field, and I kind of um, joined his uh, community as part of like um, after listening to his podcast and after all his free value that he was giving. And I started by buying his lettering courses and from there, you know, went into this like giant spiral of um, of like business, like how to how to freelance, all that stuff I learned from him. Um, and then from there, I decided, OK, I'm going to give out things for free and then I'm going to charge full price for for my actual service, which I uh, make it well worth it for these people. So everyone's happy. Right. Um, I'm happy. I get, you know, uh, my worth. Uh, they're happy they get something that is an investment for their brand. And um, I only select people who will not make my my life miserable, right? You can definitely tell. I mean, I kind of just laughed a little to myself just seeing your framing around mm -hmm. the... I forget what it's, you said you prefer people to uh, email you, but it was like somebody would say like Leda Playa or something like yeah. that and... Uh, very casual um, spelling of that. And it was like, this This is like somebody I'd want to work with. It would be a, really fun mm -hmm. to uh, engage. And I think that's so key for freelancers is mm -hmm. finding work you don't resent because yeah. that's when people just get in this uh, death spiral of just frustration, resenting not having uh, some of the perks of full-time employment and all that. So... Um, Kudos to you for kind of figuring out that uh, virtuous loop. And uh, and you really, like, I feel like in order to get to that point, uh, because a lot of people ask me, like, hey, I'm starting out, you know, uh, like, I can't just pick and choose my clients. Yeah, that's that's that might be true, but that's where you can do something else that's not your passion so it doesn't kill it. And then uh, just have that, like, pay the bills, do all that stuff. And then for your passion, grow your brand, um like put out content regularly and then eventually you're going to be able to pick and choose anyone you want. Yeah. I've taken a similar approach, which is pretty much the assumption that I'm not going to be able to figure out who I want to work with, but I know mm -hmm. who I don't want to work with. Yeah. So keep careful track of those people, uh, figure out how to better say no as I evolve and then mm -hmm. try to do free work for people that are fun to work with or just mm -hmm. have a generosity mindset and mm -hmm. keep, doing that it's really a matter of faith rather than any sort of strategy or um, grand plan but it does mm. seem to be at least heading me in the right direction yeah i agree 100 percent. i'd love to hear more about the uh, hand lettering and languages i i don't know how many languages you're up to either learning or uh, mastering now but talk to me how about how those um, things are adding to some of the other things you're, some of the work you're doing, your creative process, and how you're just driven to learn some of those things. Yeah. Um, so I I love traveling and I love experiencing new things and I love new cultures. And uh, I really, really, really strongly feel that um, like just learning about new cultures and experience them, experiencing them. Um, will really make you a much richer person. Um, it will make you a lot more, um, it'll make you a lot happier. It'll make you 
um, understand where these different things are coming from. There's so many philosophies and so many influences that are really beneficial um, that like only a person who's, you know, uh, multifaceted in those like cultures can really appreciate. And it makes you a much wiser person. Like you could tackle a problem um, from something that you've experienced uh, from somewhere or something that you've read about uh, about a different culture um, that's really, um, you know, unique to that culture, but not to yours. So you could, you know, um, look at a, a problem. And so let's say, for example, like, um, like in, in the world of design, right? Um, so the, the person who invented the, um, like the trains when they would pass through, right? Little tunnels, they would make like this ginormous sonic boom and it would be like really terrible for everyone living nearby. And someone who studies like, um, you know, he, he likes to watch birds and, and studies birds, um, who also is like an engineer, uh, and a designer, he thought, well, wait a second, why don't I make it look like the beak of the, of the bird, right? That will allow air to go uh, through and it's going to, um, you know, not make the sound uh, be that way. And it, it does work and it works. So, so something like that wouldn't have happened. People would have had to like resort to either slower trains or just had to deal with the noise. But this multifaceted person, right, was able to solve that problem from these different um, fields of, of knowledge, right? Uh, so the same way, like, um, you know, when I work for clients, I work for international uh, clients. So if I hadn't experienced the culture, I would not have been able to get these clients. Um, and if I didn't have exposure to some of the languages, then I wouldn't, you know, be able to understand anything about, um, the significance of it, the, you know, which colors to use, what symbols are taboo, like all sorts of stuff like that. So as a designer, it really does help if you're, um, you know, very well cultured, I'm guaranteeing you hundred percent, any field, it will only help. It will not hurt, um, to, to learn from, uh, many other diverse fields. Because you could definitely bring those fields into your, um, you know, your um, your own specialty. And it's not some people, their personality type is like, I'm going to focus on one thing, just run with it and be successful with it. Other people like me, we just like to do everything. Right. Um, so um, so that's fine. Uh, if you're not that type of person, don't feel bad. But I um, highly encourage people to just learn as much as possible about other languages and cultures. Uh, I really enjoy languages um, because of the cultural uh, immersion that I like to put myself into. Um, I only speak Arabic and English fluently, but I'm pretty decent in Japanese, like I'm conversational. And um, my French is like, okay, conversational as well. My Spanish is a bit rusty. Um, and then I'm super rusty. Like, I think I really, I need to like restudy the, um, the other ones. Um, which were uh, Italian, Korean, and like a tiny bit of Mandarin. But uh, but yeah, definitely like uh, just get yourself into as many fields as possible, as many languages as possible to access those fields um, and just be a more cultured uh, person. It will re- definitely help you. Throughout your book, you talk about a number of different categories Um most of them are related to freedom and giving yourself the autonomy and space and energy to work on the things that matter to you. Yeah. Are there things that were just painful to learn that you wish somebody had just taken you aside and said, follow this or do this or like, what are one of the two, one or two things you might um, suggest people to start with? Um, so for me, the biggest issue is probably just self-discipline in general. Uh, so like if someone just told me, you know, early on, like, Hey, you really need to strengthen that willpower muscle. Um, like I was, I was even like looking into things about like, okay, how do I get myself on track? Right. How do I just not be lazy? Like I, I am not motivated to do anything. Like what is wrong with me? Like why are other people being motivated? Um, and like the, the most painful lesson was just seeing time pass and just like not really doing what I always wanted to do. And, um, if I, if I really had to go back to myself, uh, my old self, I'll be like, okay, strengthen your willpower muscle, right? You're going to have to plow through stuff. Um, you're going to have to go through things, you know, uh, just do things that are un- uncomfortable. Like I love learning new things, 
but I hate continuing that learning. Like it gets to a point where it's just not fun anymore. And then I just drop it and learn something new. Right. So if I can like, uh, like, you know, like the, the expression, like, you know, master of none, right. Jack of all trades, master of none. Um, that accurately describes me, but I, I, I do still believe that if you have all these, you know, multifaceted influences, you're definitely going to be a much better person, but you need to master at least something. Right. And that is just really difficult for some people. Um, and to do that properly is to, um, you know, just put in the time and effort sometimes. And to do that, you just have to make yourself practice exerting that willpower muscle, right? Muscles to make them grow, you need to stress, stress them and then relax them, give them proper energy, proper relaxation, and then proper stress, right? If you stress them too much, they're going to tear. If you don't exercise them, they're not going to grow. So, you really need to push yourself a little bit, um, you know, just do do things that are uncomfortable, even if, if like they're completely unrelated. Like some people tell me to like uh, they take cold showers or something. Right. That really helps their um, willpower. They're they're uh, more prone to doing harder things to be, um, you know, uh, action oriented. Right. So like me as someone who's not. um you know, ready to, to just be in that action state all the time. Um, that's, that's where I, where I need to be. Right. And to do that, not only do I need to make the systems work for me, like say, you know, attach these keystone habits, you know, these habits that I want to improve on to the keystone habits that I already do make all these systems happen. You're going to be presented with, with like things that are just going to throw away, you know, throw off all your, um, your schedule, put those systems like, you know, just going to disrupt everything. So in those moments, you're really going to have to rely on willpower, right? So that's the one thing that I that I tell uh, myself first, and then everyone else is just, you know, that tough love lesson of just you gotta you really gotta push through. Um, you can't blame things on other people. You can't use that victim mentality. You just really gotta focus on yourself, improve um, yourself, and just work a little bit harder than uh, than you have. I like one of the techniques you use too. You to complete this book, you basically bet your friends <laughs> or set up a tax if you didn't finish by certain dates. Yeah, uh, maybe talk a little bit about that and how people might use that. So the carrot and stick method really works for me. You know, uh, you just you, like you dangle a carrot in front of me, and I will not care. Like I'll be like, okay, cool, yeah, it's great. But once you like have that stick and say, okay, if you don't go after that carrot, I'm gonna like beat you with it. Then I'll really work, and it's. Most people, uh, they they do things to avoid punishment rather than towards rewards. Everyone knows the reward of success, but everyone really feels like they really have to start working um, if they're if they're fearing the consequence. So find that healthy balance. Some people are more prone to working towards rewards. Some people are just motivated by rewards. Others are motivated by punishment. The majority of us are definitely going to try to avoid punishment. Um, so for me, I said, okay. Um, to keep myself accountable, obviously, like, uh, you know, the reward of, of doing the work on time and all that is not working for me. So I need I need some punishment. I need something to to really put that fire under my butt and just get me to start working. So I, I told, uh, you know, people in my mastermind groups, I told them, OK, if I don't um, give you a chapter a week. I will pay each and every person, uh, one of you, one hundred dollars. Right. Um, so, so I was like, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm going to be broke. Like if I, if I just keep giving everyone <laughs> like a hundred bucks. So I really had no choice. So I started just to, like any second I would get, I would just put that into writing the book and editing and, um, you know, uh, doing all that. And then when the time came, I just had to do it. I just had to send them the, send them the book. And, and that's the only way it got done, um, on time. Otherwise I would have had to delay it. Cause I kept like adding things to it. I would keep uh, hearing about this new thing. Cause like we're constantly learning about new things. Like we're constantly listening to new information, learning about things I'm like, Oh wait, that would be really great for that chapter. And I'll just start typing more and more and more when I really needed to just edit, ship it out and then, um, you know, improve it as I, as I went. Um, because otherwise it, it just wouldn't be complete. Uh, so just ship out something that's incomplete, get it over with. Um, and you're fine. So, Push yourself. If you're the type of person who like procrastinates, you know, until a deadline, just 
this technique will work for you. Just like get some people to hold you accountable and force yourself to do it, right? Um, put some sort of punishment, put stipulations on yourself. And that's really the only way to, to, to get yourself motivated uh, if you're that type of person who I am. Any other topics from the book uh, that are kind of top of mind or you hope people walk away with if they read it? Uh, yeah, just like the, um, the understanding of like freedom is not just like you doing whatever you want. It's really you having the responsibility of, uh, of living in a world that allows for freedom, right? So freedom, if, if, uh, if you live somewhere and you're like, oh, my life is great, I'm free, I can, you know, I have all these luxuries, I have all these freedoms, you're not really free because the system that allows for the subjugation of others is going to eventually subjugate you if it's convenient for them, right? If and when it's convenient for them. Because, um, like, like, as someone who, um, you know, has a lot of friends and um, uh, family members who were, like, oppressed you know, by uh, the regime and stuff. Like, I've had friends who are, uh, you know, put in prison, uh, tortured, um, you know, shot at, like, all sorts of um, of things like that. And then, like, if I'm living the good life and just allowing that to continue, it's, about, it's just a matter of time before it, it happens to me, right? So just make sure to, um, to always, like, fight for other people's freedom as well. Like, if you hear about a cause, if you hear about people who are oppressed, Get them out of their oppression because that will make sure that oppression doesn't happen throughout the world, right? And it won't happen to you. Um, like there are so many uh, people out there who who are just um, in, in complete like um, and even like I call it slavery, right? So like they're they're just um, the the three types of enslavement, right? That exist is like by other people, by yourself. Um, or by, by like just complete circumstance, right. By just things of, of nature. Right. So the, the subjugation of others, the enslavement quote unquote of, of others, um, it doesn't just take the, 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 the shape of like owning people. It takes the shape of, um, you know, abuse in, uh, in work, abuse in, um, like, uh, marriage, abuse in all those things. But like at the same time, and if you're, allowing that to happen but because of whatever reason just make sure to at least spread the word tell as many people as possible that this is like not correct um and make sure that the reason why you're 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 doing that is is for the freedom of others and not because of something that uh, you feel like imposing because of your own like superiority right um yeah so you know, many people like if they're writing about freedom or if they're telling you to to become a more free person, they tell you, OK, allow yourself the opportunity to um, just have like uh, all this influence and power so that you don't uh, resort to, um, you know, being subjugated by yourself and others. Yes, that's that's very true. But in addition, you really have to um, help everyone else around you because the rising tide lifts all boats, right? And you're living in this um, in this world. If everyone speaks out against something, right? I mean, we're seeing it now. We're seeing a lot more people speak out against things that are just completely like obvious. But it's not obvious to many, um, and we're just now starting to um, to address these issues. So the more people talk about them, the more uh, of a free world you're going to live in in the future. Yeah, I think that's beautiful and uh, something I've become just more appreciative of growing up in a place like the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, and being in different parts of the world now where people haven't had hundreds of years of uh, certain rights being protected mm -hmm. and uh, even not even in my own country. But yeah. Um, yeah, I love how you frame that and add the element of fighting for other people's uh, justice as an element of freedom as well. Where can people uh, stay tuned for the future chapters, um, learn more about you, check out some of your uh, pretty awesome design work? Uh, where do you want to point people? 
Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah. So um, if they can uh, find the book and uh, uh, purchase it. So it's it's a pay what you want model. So you can put zero dollars in there and you're going to still get the, the, the book in PDF form. Uh, eventually, after the book is complete, then I'll, I'll sell it like the hard copy with like all the edits, all the um, the illustrations and everything. And um, I, you, you already uh, posted the link. I have the link. It's on uh, Gumroad right now. Uh, one of my website is, I mean, my website still exists. It's uh, myfirstandlastname.com. So it's motazahmed.com or motizzy.com, uh, M-O-T-I-Z-Z-Y. And, um, uh, and my Instagram where I post my, uh, my hand lettering, um, that's where I post like the those tidbits that kind of go into the book later um, in like a calligraphy form or hand lettering form. So that's Motizzy Letters. Uh, that's the handle, Motizzy Letters. Um, so yeah, just uh, motizzi.com, Motizzi Letters is, is the Instagram, I'm Motizzi on anything else. And uh, yeah, the book, if you uh, purchase it, even if it's for $0, you're still going to get the, the rest of the book. And then um, that's where I'm going to be uh, sending you all the updates um, about future releases as well. Thanks for listening to Reimagine Work. I'm having a ton of fun doing this podcast. One friend even reached out and said it's like a really professional coffee chat conversation from business school. I'm not sure what to make of that, but I'm going to put that one in the positive column for now. If you have feedback for me similar to that, I'd love to hear it. Shoot me a note, reach out, message me on Twitter. And if you want to support the podcast, you know how to do it. Go to iTunes. You can give it a rating. You can share it with a friend. And if you want to offer a financial contribution or gift, you can do that in the link in the podcast. Thanks for listening and have a good week. Thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can, of course, check out my book. It's sold. It's going to hit 50000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50000 which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community, which you can find at pathlesspath.com membership, and you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.